Good morning, everybody. Please stand with us. And before we start singing this morning, I just want to say I feel like uh, we're missing a little something. You know, it's Christmas time, and I feel like we've got the Christmas spirit, right? But down in Kentucky, we don't get a lot of, well, snow. Anyway, enjoy. Yeah. 
you can be seated for a minute. Man, that's exciting. You know, we, John's right. It's like 56 degrees on Christmas morning, so that little bit of snow may be all that we get this year. We're glad that you're here today. You know, I was thinking about Christmas and the timing of it. I, I don't know if you feel like this at all, but for me, it's like we went from December 1st to December 19th in about two days. I don't know how that happened or where it went, but it's just here it is. We're, this is Christmas week, and it's it's awesome and exciting, but uh, man, it's going so fast. And, and it's interesting to me because when I think about Christmas, everybody, I think at least, I think everybody that I know loves Christmas. Uh, but, I, but sometimes I feel like I have to kind of apologize. Like I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, but man, I really love Christmas. I love Christmas music and I love the lights and I love all the stuff, you know. And, but everybody I know seems to, seems to really enjoy it. I just don't think I know anybody that says, man, this is the, the worst time of the year. I just, I'm so unhappy. I'm so miserable. I, you know, it may have been a hard year. Maybe there was some loss and some grief. But everybody seems to really enjoy the holiday. But there's something, just feels like there's something in our culture that wants us to believe that we should be sad, that we, we should be a little bit bummed out because, you know, and they're always telling us, like, that it's stressful and it's depressing and, and, and everybody feels bad. But when you actually look at the, the statistics, the opposite's true. I, uh, I found this little graph the other day. It's been around a few years, but I'm, I'm sure that the info is still accurate. I found this graph. It's called the Google Misery Index. And basically what they did is this, this guy, he, he, you're able to get all the search terms that people put into Google. So if they search the word depression or stress and pain, anxiety, those, you know, those negative terms, he, he found out how many people are looking for those on any given day throughout the year. And then he kind of made this graph to say, okay, when are people searching those terms the most? And they found out that people seem to be pretty unhappy on Mondays, which there's really no big, huge surprise there. We all tend to be a little kind of, you know, Monday blues. But, but the high point is at the end of April. I, I don't know why for sure. I'm guessing it's because the weather, you know, we're kind of ready for summer, but it's still kind of, you know, bad weather kind of lingers there a little bit. But you look at Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, it just, it just takes a nosedive just drops off the, the edge of a cliff because everybody is pretty euphoric on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. We're, we're all just excited, and studies show that, that people are more hopeful and have much less stress and misery on those days. This is a great time of the year, so what, my, my encouragement to us is let's not allow the world to try to rob us of the joy that we have this time. Don't let them rob you of the majesty of Christmas. This is the greatest, the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of mankind is the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's the story of a God that was on high, that squeezed himself into human flesh for a short time to re remind us that he cares, that he's close and that this 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 god was born and he became small for a very small period of time because he had a big vision for our world and a big vision for your life why is it that we celebrate this holiday for a month 
You know, I just think about, you know, we, we just don't do that with any other holiday. Nobody I know celebrates Valentine's Day for a month long, you know. Like, I just love, you know, that or St. Patrick's Day or, or any of the other. But we can listen to music and we can, you know, look at lights and do all those things for a month. And then when it's over, we're, we're just kind of like, oh, man, that was great. I can't wait for the next one. Like, we don't do that with any other day. Why is it? I, I believe it's because... There is something about the attributes of God that is just infused into this holiday. This is the one day of the year that we ask ourselves, how can I bless somebody else? And that's our main focus. That's what drives us all month long. How can I be a blessing to somebody else? That's, that's because God gave us the gift of his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life more than any other time of the year. We, we, we feel that way, too. We feel that. And why do we have such a strong desire to be around family? Even those people that they may not be blood-related, but they're family by choice. They're people that we love that are in our lives, and we want to share the day with them. Could it be because that God is all about family? That Jesus was born into a family that was not his own, but they were his family, and he's and Mary and Joseph. Joseph's not his biological father, but he's going to play a major earthly father role in his life. And Christmas is also the time where we we all seem to be leaning forward with hope. Everybody I know is is hopeful at the end of the year as we celebrate Christmas. It's part of the story, also from the announcement with the shepherds. The angel said in Luke two, "Don't be afraid." Because I bring you good news that will, be, it will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. That's hope. That's what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago is so much bigger than you and I have the capacity to understand. We kind of shrink this story down and make it manageable for us. You know, it kind of fits on our, on our mantle, the, the nativity scene. You know, we kinda, we've got it all polished, and we like to pretty it up. And we, we've got it in our mind. That's the, that's the way it is. And when I think about the Christmas story, especially when I consider Mary and Joseph, it really was, it was a divine interruption. This is not on their radar. You've got little Mary and Joseph there, you know, walking to... To Bethlehem where they need to go. and This was not on the radar. Jesus coming into their life. And as they're getting married. And all, all the things that they're engaged. This is, not, this is not any part of their plans. And God often interrupts us. Somewhere along the way in our lives. And, and invites us to something better. And you get these divine interruptions. And, and when you get these. You, you, you may want to shake them off. And say, you know, I, I don't want this. I don't need this. I don't have time in my life for this. But those divine interruptions, I, I think we would be better to call them divine invitations. God is inviting us into something so much better. Why are we often afraid of God's plans? Why do they shake us so much? I think it's number one, because they're inconvenient. It seems inconvenient at the time. And number two, because God's purpose is often different than our plans. What we have planned is not necessarily what God has planned for us. And that was certainly true for Mary when the angel came to her and gave her the news. I just love how real her response was. It says that she was thoroughly shaken. 
wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, well, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will rule Jacob's house forever. No end ever to his kingdom. So many of us may have the same feelings this year. We say, I'm excited for Christmas. I, I love the day, but I do feel a little thoroughly shaken. Other translations say she was confused and disturbed. Many of us, we feel that way. I feel confused and disturbed, a little shaken. I'm wondering what's going to be up around the next bend. What does the next year have in store for me? Wherever you find yourself, just remember, God's purpose may be different than our plans. His purpose is different from our plans. And that's a good thing. It may feel like bad timing. It may feel like it's an interruption. But just trust that He's using everything in your life, even this season, to bring about good things that He has had planned for you from long ago to bring good out of the chaos. And as we look forward with eager anticipation at what God is going to do next. Let's just continue leaning forward with hope today.
Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 tells us this, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. It seems like from the very beginning, people have always been traveling on Christmas. You know, if you're feeling stressed, maybe that's the reason. It's because, you know, I've got these places I have to be and I hate the traffic and whatever else. But from the very beginning, there were people traveling. There's Mary and Joseph and you've got the wise men and the shepherds and you. And you're probably trying to figure out how we're going to get everywhere that we need to be and, and what time do we have to leave and how do we get the kids ready and away from the, you know, peel them away from the toys on time and all that sort of stuff. We all want to hit the road because we've got somewhere to be. In order to find Jesus, every one of us, we need directions. We've got to have a, a way to guide us. Where am I going? You know, we're, we can be so lost in this world. And the story of the wise men shows us something, I think, really unique. It says in verse 2 that the, the wise men, the magi, they asked, Where is the, the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And we don't often talk about what a huge commitment this was for these guys to travel from where they were we don't know exactly where these guys came from it just says they came from the east so it was you know theologians say it had been somewhere between four and nine hundred miles that they traveled which in that day would have taken at least weeks maybe possibly months for them to get there and we traditionally kind of talk about three wise men because of the gifts you know gold frankincense and myrrh but it's much more likely that there were dozens that came uh, and, and we're looking for the newborn Jesus. But they brought these gifts with them and said, we, we've come here and we saw a star. And, and, and God often uses, sometimes he uses the natural world to get our attention. Sometimes the simplest things in life can become some of the greatest signs pointing us back to Jesus. Something as simple as a baby's sigh or an awe-inspiring as a, a night full of stars Maybe as gentle as a softly falling snow. It's amazing the things that God can use to get our attention and get our hearts to lean towards him a little bit. I love what uh, Psalm 19 verse 1 says. It says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Sometimes if you want to just get a glimpse of his glory, we just have to look out and see all that he has made. And these wise men, they just needed a star. I, I do find it interesting. There are two groups of people. Now, we're looking for Jesus that night. It was the shepherds and the magi. Shepherds, they're, they're blue, blue, blue collar, man. I mean, these guys are rough and tumbly. They're not what you would consider wealthy by any stretch. They were just living out in the fields, watching the sheep, you know, doing that thing. That's, that's what they did. They're not ultra wealthy or super educated. They didn't have any little abbreviations behind their names. And then you have the magi, which are, they're just jacked. I mean, they're super wealthy. They bring gold, they bring frankincense and myrrh, which, by the way, the frankincense and the myrrh would have been worth more than what the gold was worth in that day. And, and, and the gifts that they brought, I find it interesting. People say, why? Okay, I get the gold because that's valuable. What's up with the, the frankincense and myrrh? What even is that? They were, they were spices. They were rare, exotic spices. Frankincense or gold, which would have symbolized the royalty that would have been given to kings. Frankincense, which was an incense used in burnt offerings and worship, signifying that Jesus was to be worshipped. And myrrh, which is a spice that was often used in the embalming process, signifying that he came for a purpose. 
His purpose was to give his life for us. You've got these different groups of people, the shepherds and the magi, both looking for this baby. They're, they're, they're different. They couldn't be any more different. Different ethnicities, different tax brackets, <laughs> uh, total different life experience. And yet they're all on a journey to find Jesus that night, just like we are. Every one of us in this room today, and everyone not in this room, there are those that we recognize that are far from God today. But even those people, whether they admit it or not, there is something about the story of Jesus that keeps drawing us in. We just can't deny it. We just can't ignore it. We just can't brush it off. And there was a prophecy written about his birth hundreds of years before he was born. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. There's something amazing that's going to happen. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And with those words, God made a promise to the world. He said, I know that you live in darkness right now, but there will come a time when the light will shine. When there will be hope, hope above all hope, peace. That is available. We just can't help but keep seeking. And I recognize that some of us today are, some of us are struggling that others couldn't possibly understand. We just, we just couldn't get it. What do we do in those moments of darkness? Where do we go? What do we turn to when life falls apart, when the wheels come off, when we're wondering, okay, I just don't know what's up around the bend. I don't know how I navigate this season in my life now. I just don't know what we're going to do. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I love this passage. It says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And when we do, this is what happens. It says, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. What I love about that passage, uh, it's so encouraging to me. Many of us feel like we're, we're unworthy God is probably frustrated with me, lost his patience. Maybe, he's, maybe he doesn't want a relationship with me. I've failed him one too many times. Well, that verse reminds me is we just keep coming boldly. Don't believe the lie that you have failed, that you've let God down. Somebody told me just the other week, they said, you know, I, I'm struggling in my faith because I feel like I've let God down. I said, you know what? You are never holding God up. He holds you up. You've not failed him. You just continue to approach the throne of grace with boldness. And when you do, you will receive mercy and you will find grace to help you when you need it the most. It doesn't matter how bad we've been or how dark life feels. The great news for us today, the best news is even though we live in a land of deep darkness, for a while, a light will shine. When we come before him, when we take a bold and courageous step toward Jesus, we will receive mercy and find grace. So like these magi and like these shepherds, don't give up the search. Just keep looking. If you say, I feel like I'm far from the Lord today, you just keep searching. The scripture promises us. That we will find him when we seek him with all of our heart. And that's why we celebrate communion. Because for us, it is a 
regular reminder that we have a God that, that came to sacrifice for us. That he did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. You know, I think about moments in my life where I can point back. It's kind of like road markers. You know, when you look back on memories. And there's some, there's some road markers, some moments that you're really proud of. You say, man, there's, I'd love to, you know, rewind the tape and watch that one again. And then there's moments that you're really not proud of and maybe you're really ashamed of. And you say, I'd just rather forget that that even happened. But you can't. You know, it's not like we can get, you know, selective frontal lobotomies. You know, just I just wish I could just pull that little memory right out of my brain. And even if you could, there's other people that remember it. <laughs> that doesn't help. There's a funny thing, though, in, in Scripture. God makes us a really interesting promise he says that when we come to him and when we ask for forgiveness because of the because of the blood of Jesus because of because he took all of his our sin upon himself he says that God will choose to remember your sin no more cast it as far as the east is from the west it's at the bottom of the sea it's gone forever never to be brought back up again you know I, I tend to bring things back up I'll replay the tape in my mind and boy if I could just go back if I could go back 10 years I'd, I wish I could go back just so I could live a little different or do that a little different or change that and then I, I feel like sometimes I bring that up to God and say, you know, Lord, that, that thing that happened <clears throat> years ago, I'm, I'm sorry about that. And you know what Scripture reminds me is that God says, what are you talking about? I don't even remember what, you, what you're talking about. That's gone. That little thing, I forgot about that a long, long time ago. It's gone. That's the good news that we have in Jesus. You know, the word gospel, it means good news. It means that Jesus came... And he took our failures, our shortcomings, our brokenness, whatever word you want to use, insert the verb, whatever. He took it upon himself when he hung there on the cross and he breathed his last. Your sin, my sin, he died right there. So let's remember that and celebrate it and give thanks that he did that for us. Let's pray. Father, we... We recognize today and, and every day that you've paid a price that we couldn't afford. That Jesus took on flesh and he walked among us. And, and we remember, Lord, that because of that, we, we know that you're near to us. You're not far off in the distance, but you are, you are right here. And you love us and you, you've walked where we've walked. Lord, as we, as we take the, the bread and the, the cup and we remember Jesus' sacrifice, I pray that you would, once again, Lord, we, we ask for your forgiveness for our sins. We ask, Lord, that you cover us with your grace. Father, help us to forgive ourselves. And help us to forgive our neighbors, our family members. Help us to forgive our enemies. Help us, Lord, to forgive those that have hurt us, that we, 
we feel like I'm going to burn with anger every day of my life. Help us to forgive, to let go, to receive the grace that we need today. We ask all this in Christ's name.
You know, it really is amazing that the most important moment in human history, you think about the big, big moments and the birth of Christ is number one. The most important moment that has ever happened is captured in just two little verses in Luke chapter 2. And it just says that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Pretty short and sweet and right to the point. And we talk uh, so much about the birth of Christ and what this day means and and everything is all about his arrival. Everything's all, hey, I'm glad that Jesus is here. I'm glad that he came. It's great. We celebrate Christmas. Fun, fun. You know, wahoo is good. But, but I think in the middle of all that, we can get so wrapped up that we sometimes forget, or maybe we don't forget, we just don't bring it to the forefront of our minds, why he came. We're just glad that he came, but we kind of forget, well, why? It's great, but what was the purpose? I love this quote by Max Locato. Some of you are Max Locato fans. This is a good one. He says, we have to see the mess that we're in before we can appreciate the God that we have. I really like that. A lot of us, we, we do know. We, we know the mess that we're in. It's hard to ignore it. We, we understand that, and we know what kind of mess we've been. And we're, the more awareness of the fact that we really are broken people, that we've not been made perfect yet, that we're still stumbling towards Jesus and he's still working something out in us, when we fully embrace that, it just really helps us to appreciate all the more that what God has done for us, what he's done on our behalf. And we don't take credit for it. We don't get all puffed up and say, hey, look at me and look how good of a... Christian that I am, but we can, we can put all of that emphasis and say, man, it's, I, I serve a good God and he's done great stuff for me. I can't take any of the credit. He's just been that good to me. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says that all of us, which I really hate that line because I'd love to wiggle out of this, but I really don't get that. There's no space in there, but it says all of us, everyone, you and me like sheep. Have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He says, You know, we, we like sheep. We're, we're like sheep. You know, when it says that, this is not a compliment. He wasn't saying, Oh, you're, you're, like, you're like lions or something. You, you ferocious wolves, you. You're so impressive and awesome. And man, look, look at what you can do and what you, how you've been made. No, he says, You're like sheep. I don't know if you've ever spent time around sheep. I have. Not enjoyable. Every year I'd raise a little lamb for, I was in 4-H, and so we'd get a little lamb, go pick one out and raise it and take care of it and try to keep it, you know. Didn't want it to have any blemishes or things like that because then we would go to the 4-H auction and you'd stand in the arena and you'd have your lamb and people would bid on it. These business owners and people would come and and bid on your lamb. You you want it to look good because you want to get a lot of money. And the better your lamb looks, the more money hopefully you're going to get. Or somebody feels... Sorry for some little kid standing there. Like, here's a couple hundred bucks. But sheep, what I know about sheep is they are stupid. <laughs> I, I had a little trick. I mean, one of the things that you learn about, about lambs, they, they, and maybe this is true for every animal, I don't know, but they won't instinctively follow you where you want them to go. So, you know, I'd have a little halter. You'd put it on their face and a little, you know, a little lead, and you're trying to, like, come on, let's go. And they would just bear down. And they just kind of lay down like this and like, nope, I'm not going where you want me to go. I don't know where we're going or what you're doing. And I'm not going there. They just, 
And so what I would do is I would tie that to the back of the four-wheeler and say, let's go. You're going to learn real quick. Somebody, nobody called PETA on that, but with that, you know, this is the direction that we're going, and you're going to go one way or the other. And I feel like I'm like that sometimes. God's like, come on, Brandon. I'm like, nope, nope. He's like, do we have to go kicking and screaming? But I'm going to drag you there. And, and sheep, they're, they're basically known for three things. They're weak, they're witless, and they're wayward. They don't think for themselves. They, sheep tend to follow the crowd. If one sheep does one dumb thing, the whole group of the dumb sheep are going to do the dumb thing that the one dumb sheep just did. This is a true story. A true story. Uh, I promise you, in the year 2005 in Turkey, 1,500 dumb sheep followed each other off of a cliff. 1,500. Now, you would think after the first, the second, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, I mean, you just keep going. Boom, 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 boom. They're falling off of a cliff to their death. You would think that, man, maybe like the 10th or 11th or 12th sheep would say, well, you know, I, I don't think I want to go where you guys are going. That doesn't look like a good idea. But they did. Every single one of them, 1,500, followed each other off of this cliff. Now, the bad news was the first 400 fell to their death and died. But the good news is the other 1,100, those first 400 made like a sheep pillow, I guess. And like the other 1,100 just kind of boing, bounced off and survived. Sheep are stupid, man. They're, they're dumb. And so when, when Isaiah, when, when God says to us, hey, you guys are kind of like that. It's not a compliment. He's saying, I just need you to understand that you're, you think you're reasonable and you think that you're really smart and you think that you've got life all figured out and it, it is, just you don't. Like sheep, you've strayed off the path and the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And verse 3, it says of Jesus, this is a prophecy before he was born, it says that he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him. Let that settle on you for a moment. We turned our backs on him. And we looked the other way. He was despised. And we did not care. Has that ever described you? A period in your life? Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought... His troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Right? Is that why Jesus died? Was it because something that he did because he was in the wrong? Or he, he did something that brought that upon himself? No. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. See, Jesus didn't come so we would have a nice holiday at the end of the year and get to take a couple days off work and drink some eggnog, look at lights, and watch a Christmas story on TBS for 24 hours straight. It's not why he came. Those things are fun. I'm not knocking any of that. I love that. I live for that stuff. Why did he come? We get so caught up in the arrival that we forget the purpose. Jesus came and he said in Luke 9, he said, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed. But on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. And in verse 23, it says that then he said to the crowd, 
If any of you, you just put yourself in that, in that position for a minute. You're part of the crowd. Let's say that you're there. Jesus is teaching. He's saying, this is why I came. This was my purpose. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. And then I'm going to be raised to life on the third day. And then he looks you dead in the eye and he says, now if any of you wants to be my follower, what do you think he would say next? Let me tell you what he did not say. He didn't say, well, then if you just, you know, pray some prayer and then you'll be blessed and prosperous every day of the rest of your life. And it's just going to be great. He didn't say that. He didn't say, oh, well, if you just, you know, if you just, if you just say, okay, I accept Jesus and then I'm going to get, I'm going to get a little bath in the baptistry real quick. And then I'm going to come out of there and, and then I get whatever I want. And Jacuzzi Jesus is just going to set me free from my sins and everything's going to be. He didn't say that. What he said was. If any of you, looking you dead in the eyes, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your own cross, and follow me. What does that mean? It means sacrifice. Take up your cross. It's an instrument of death. It means that I'm going to put to death my old way of life. Where I lived just for me and what I wanted to do and I was an enemy and a hater of God. I'm going to repent of that old life. I'm going to put that old life to death. It's, it's about denial. You give up your own way. That means I'm denying myself. You know, in a culture, in a world that increasingly is all self-focused. You know, I want it on my terms. The way that I want exactly. Jesus is says something that's very countercultural. He says, you, you deny yourself. You die to yourself. And then he said, then you follow me. Listen, it's not a hobby. Being a follower of Christ is not an add-on. Like, well, yeah, this is who I am, and this is my job, and this is my family. And Oh, by the way, I'm also a Christian. That's not what it is. It's not something that helps us feel good when we celebrate Santa and go to grandma's house and it, this is God becoming flesh born of a virgin living a sinless life the lamb of God that died for our sins so that we could stand holy and forgiven and whole at the feet of the Lord and when you understand that when you really really grasp it when it moves beyond surfacey and I love Jesus and he loved me and Christmas Easter, when it moves into something with depth, I understand the supreme sacrifice that he made for me and for us. It just takes over your whole life. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It's not a once or twice a year thing. It overwhelms you. What did he do? He endured all this for, for you. For your lives, for me. Why did Jesus come? It was a rescue mission. It was because we were drowning. We were hopeless, broken, poor. Jesus came to save. He said, I've come not to be served, but to serve. I've come not so that you would... You know, look for ways to, to feel better about yourself. But I've come to reach down into the pit where you are and pull you out of it. I've endured this for you, for your lustfulness, 
for your envy, for your anger, for, and for your hypocrisy, our judgmental spirit, our greed, all the things that have driven us away from God, our unforgiveness and our wicked hearts. That is what is so special about Christmas. It's, not, it's just not, not just about gifts and glitter and ribbons and bows and all this stuff. It's about the fact that God became flesh and he did it for a purpose. He did it for you to rescue you because you were lost and you may have been so lost you didn't even know you were lost. I remember many years ago we went to uh, Festival of the Lights at the Cincinnati Zoo. Megan and I, we took the kids. We were there with some family. It's such a big place and we're always watching the kids. You know, you got to make sure the kids are right with us the whole time. And, and we were at the end. We were getting ready to leave. And we'd walk through this big tunnel of lights towards uh, right on the edge of the parking lot. And there's some reindeer there. And so we get there, and I had Ethan, and Megan had Adeline, and we both thought that the other had Jacob. And somewhere in that tunnel of lights, he was you know, looking at everything, and he got turned around, didn't realize where we went, and he went back the other way. And so we're there checking out the reindeer and all that, and when we finally got together, it has been like 10 minutes, we get together and we say, well, where's Jacob? And none of us has, and, and you want to talk about panic. I've never been so panicked. We're right here at the parking lot, I see people walking out with these little kids, like these little blonde-haired kids, you know, got, and I'm, I'm ready to like, I'm ready to just kill somebody. I'm like, are you my kid? Where's, you know, somebody took my kid. And so we start running, and you know, at first, it's like if you've ever been in that situation, you, you're kind of like, okay, Jacob, Jacob, where's Jacob, Jacob, where's Jacob at? And then I start raising my voice and running, and like, Jacob, where's Jacob? Jacob Hatfield. And then I finally said, maybe he didn't make it down the tunnel with us, and so I run back up through the tunnel, and I'm, I'm screaming as I go, and, and I'm just, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm starting to just, uh, we've got to call 911, I don't know what to do, he's gone. Somebody's taking him. And there's a gift shop there. I happened to look through the window, and I saw him standing there. Man, I can feel it even now. I saw him in there, and I walked in the gift shop, and as soon as he saw me, he grabbed a hold of me, and he starts climbing up my body like like he's climbing a tree, and he's just burst into tears, and I'm crying, and he's crying, and it's the best moment. I'm like, I found my son. And he, and he held me. I'll never forget. He held me. He said, Dad, I want to go home right now. And I said, don't you worry. We're leaving right now. I said, I got you. And he says, I don't ever want to talk about this ever again. I said, it's okay. We'll forget it. But that moment when I found my son, man, you, could, you, couldn't have, you couldn't have bought that moment. I mean, there's nothing in the world that I wouldn't have given to have him in my arms right there. That's what Jesus did for you. He was looking for you. He's still looking for some of you. He pursues you relentlessly. And you say, you know, I just can't get away from this Christmas stuff. It's just so annoying. Why do we have to keep talking about this? Why can't we just, these Christians, just let it go? Why don't they just let it go and let me live my life? Because you don't even realize that you're lost. You don't realize what's at stake. That you've got a God that loves you and he is 
preparing a place for you even now. Eternity hangs in the balance. And our good God said, you know, you were broken and lost, but I'll send my son to take on flesh and to bear the weight of your sin and die for it so that you can come home. Because I want you to come home. You feel that? That is what makes Christmas so special. And I hope that nothing in this world will rob you from the joy of that. Don't forget the majesty of why 2,000 years ago, God gave the most perfect and precious gift that he could give to you and me. In a tiny little town, for the first time, we got a glimpse of the face of God. And because of his sacrifice, one day, we're going to get a glimpse of the face of God again for eternity.
Let's pray together today, and we will be dismissed. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your great gift. We thank you for your great sacrifice, or that you sent your son. Lord, may we be found, and may we follow you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you are leaving today, just a couple things for you to remember. Don't forget, uh, next week is Christmas Eve. We've got two services at 4 and 6 p.m. And then that following Sunday, we just have one service at 10 a.m. We're going to have family worship that day. God bless you all. We'll see you next week.